names of God last week. Names he came to be known by in scripture. Names that were given to him from people who came to know him in a, in a personal way. Now, most of us parents put a great deal of thought into naming our children. Amen? We put some thought into it. Maybe you, you honored a, a family member, a, a, a parent, a grandparent, you know, by, by passing on their name to, to, the, to your child. Um, or perhaps you went through a book, browsed through hundreds of names, or maybe you came up with an, an alternative spelling to a name, thought, oh yeah, that one would be cool. Or, or you chose a name that you always liked, a name that you know that your child will one day eventually hate. But you loved it. And you said, oh, this is a great, great name. So I shared with you last week how my mother pulled my name from her favorite actor, Kirk Douglas. That's how I got my name. Well, my older brother, he received his name from her favorite singer in the 60s, Donovan. If you, re if you remember Donovan. My younger brother was named after her favorite TV show character. So you see how deep she went, right? Adam Cartwright from Bonanza. His name is, is Adam. And, and uh, so, so sometimes we go, well, so deep. Sometimes the names we give go a little bit deeper than that. Maybe you've heard of, a, of the pregnant woman in Kentucky, uh, a single uh, mother or pregnant mother, and uh, she was in a car accident and ended up in a coma for a number of weeks. And when she woke up in, in the hospital, she saw that her, her stomach was flat and it broke her heart. She, she, she just started crying out, calling for the nurse, calling for the doctor. She, in fear, right? In fear. So the doctor comes in and, and he reassures her. He says, your babies are okay. And she says, babies? And she, he said, yeah, you had, you had two a boy and a girl, and they're, and they're just fine. And so you could just see the relief that just, that just came over her. And, and he said, and, and don't worry, he said, I, I, we know you're not married, but your brother has been taking care of them. Worry then came over her face. My brother is taking care of my babies? You, 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 you don't know my brother. And he said, no, he's been great. The doctor just reassured her. He said, that your, your brother has been great with your babies. He's just been perfectly all right. He even named them for you. Oh, no. What did he name these kids? And he said, well, your daughter, he said, he named her Denise. And she said, oh, good. What about, what, what about my son? No problem. He called him the nephew. Sometimes the depth of the names that we come up with are of a certain level, right? So today as we continue our, our series and Known by His Names, today we're looking at Genesis chapter 14, and we're looking at the name El Elyon, El Elyon, which literally translates as, as God Most High. And like I said, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 14, where Abram's the nephew um, Lot and other residents of Sodom had been taken 
uh, 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 the area, the village had been ransacked, and they had been taken as slaves. And so Abram, of course, this is before his, he changes his name to Abraham. Uh, Abram gathers together his men and chases after the pillagers and fights them and defeats them and frees his 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 nephew and 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 everyone else and and gets all of their goods back. And so they're on the road back here in Genesis 14 and uh, starting down at verse 17, they're on their way back and Abram is greeted by a king. And this king just happens to to also be a priest. And if, if I'm not mistaken, which I don't believe I am, and if I'm not mistaken, this is the first priest that's mentioned in all of Scripture. Of course, we're just Genesis 14 by now, right? And so uh, here we are. It says, as, down in verse 17, As Abram returned from his victory over Kedor Laomer and his allies, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God Most High, brought him bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has helped you conquer your enemies. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. The king of Sodom told him, Give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. And Abram replied, I have solemnly promised the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from you. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. Now, this is the first instance in Scripture that El Elyon is used. And in fact, it's not used first by Abram. It's used by Melchizedek, this king and priest. He comes up and recognizes El Elyon, creator of heaven and earth. Now, so, so what does El Elyon represent? First, that he is creator. And I, and I know this might give you that we're here last week, a little sense of, of deja vu. But this understanding of God as creator sets him apart from, from any other entity that man may have been worshiping. You might remember from last week that the most basic or fundamental expression that we can know God as is as Elohim, as creator. I, I shared with you last week that this is the name that forms the basis of just about every other name given to God in Scripture. Elohim, El Shaddai, El Elyon... And El Roy. Yes, yes, there's an El Roy. <laughs> yeah, and, and, he's, and yes, you know, and it, it sounds just like that. So to acknowledge God as El Elyon is to recognize that he alone is the creator and maker of all things. Just as Melchizedek recognizes right here that he is God most high, the creator of all things. That, that he's the one that gave all order to the universe, order to the planet. To acknowledge him as creator is to acknowledge him as the originator, making him truly special, that this is the God that created. No doubt about it. Chris Baglow writes, the Christian doctrine of creation refers to God who, by a love 
power and wisdom that are absolute and unimaginable brings into being things distinct from himself. Creation is the beginning of God's revelation of himself in which his reality is manifested to his creatures in their very coming to be and continuing in existence. It is the basis of all other Christian doctrines. And so as we're studying these names of God each week, especially the L names of God, you can pretty much be assured that my first point each week is going to be we need to make certain that we recognize the God of creation because this forms the foundation, the basis, it's fundamental to our faith that we call out who exactly we know and believe that the God we worship, exactly who he is. And it's important to know who we worship, amen? It's important we know who we worship. Abram is being approached by this king and, and, and priest. And he may have even wondered just a little bit, who is this Yahoo? Who is this guy who, who says that, yeah, he knows the God that I'm worshiping. And, and so he hears the name of God, creator God. And it, and it affirms to him who Melchizedek also worships. So much so that he even tithes from the plunder and gives it to Melchizedek before he gives the remainder to the king of Sodom. He gives Melchizedek, the king of Salem, 10% of it to this priest, to Elohim, to creator God, the same God that has called him up out of the land of Ur into what would be the promised land. To know God in this way is the most basic and fundamental means of... And when Abram heard Melchizedek acknowledge creator God in this way, heard the name El, El Yon, he, he... I'm sure that he was relieved. Relieved to hear it. It's important to know who we're worshiping. And that it is a God who purposely created us who placed us on the planet that he formed and fashioned that's uniquely designed a place where we can thrive where we can live where we can exist where we can have a relationship with that creator and so with this being my first point this morning, I want to take some time, and each week, as this is my point, I'm going to make an even deeper reason as to why it is important to recognize God, Elohim, as creator. And so I want to talk about the creation that this creator has fashioned for us. You know, the average temperature of the earth is determined by two factors. Distance of the earth from the sun and the tilt of the rotational axis of the earth. Change either of those by any degree and it would be much more difficult for us to exist. Now in case you didn't know, scientists have now redetermined using a new measurement tool how far the earth truly is from the sun. And it's been determined that the earth's distance from the sun is approximately 8 CVS receipts away but really the earth is 94.5 million miles from the sun given where it is as it as it revolves around the sun now to me 
That's 107,143 round trips between Atlanta and Disney World, which is the metric that my family always uses when we go somewhere. Well, we could have already been to Disney by now. Well, sure, now we're only a couple of trips away from reaching that goal, but still, put it in perspective, right? How many trips? Now, if this planet were any closer to the sun, we'd be a lot warmer. The waters on the planet would evaporate. The vegetation on the planet would dry up. We, who are made up of 60% of water, well, you know, we'd be thirsty. The brain and the heart is made up of 73% water. The lungs, 83%. The skin, 64%. Our muscles, 79%. Even our bones are made up of 31% water. So put us any closer to the sun and we just couldn't exist. Take us any farther away from the sun and the opposite would happen. And we'd get cold. The average temperature on the earth is 57 degrees Fahrenheit. On Mars, the next closest planet, it's negative 81 degrees. Negative 81 degrees on Mars. We'd be singing this tune with Dean Martin all along the way. I'd say that's pretty cold, wouldn't you? I would say it'd be pretty difficult to, uh, pretty hard to kind of exist in those conditions, wouldn't you? But it does sound exciting to go there, right? Maybe one day. Who knows? Elon knows. Elon knows. Oh, Elon. E-L. No, no. There's no relation there, I'm sure. Anyway, we are uniquely designed, and our planet is uniquely designed, so that we might live and thrive and exist We've been designed and created and fashioned on purpose for a reason in a place that is unlike any other. And so when you say that you or that we worship God, we're saying that we worship a God who with a particular purpose for a particular reason and in a very detailed fashion made this marvelous universe and placed this little marble in just the right place, rotating in just the right speed, tilted in just the right fashion. And yes, the number of CVS receipts away from the sun so that we might thrive. That's cool. Melchizedek recognized that as he called God El Elyon, God Most High. Abram got to know it just a little bit better too. El Elyon, yeah, that's a, that's a great name to know God as. He is creator. He is Elohim. And this creator is supreme. Melchizedek blessed Abram with the blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Now this name El Elyon is found 49 times in the Bible. And it occurs as either God most high, the Lord most high, the most high God, the most high or the highest. As we translate it into English for us to be able to recognize it. But the main takeaway is that it expresses the supremacy of God over all things 
There is no one higher, no one greater, no one like our God. No one tells God what to do. No one informs God what he should do. No one makes God do what they think he ought to do. He alone is supreme. In this world, we're familiar with the levels of authority found in businesses and organizations and governments. You have, your, you have your CEO, your chief executive officer. And under that, you have the vice president or, or you have the position of director or manager. And then you have your entry-level employee, your assistant, your ground-level em- employee. And we, we, we strive to climb that corporate ladder to reach that topmost part at, at one point. At some time. And not too many people are, are, are striving to be at the bottom of that ladder. Amen? We, we want to see ourselves kind of, kind, of, kind of make ourselves up to that new level. That next level of employment. To get as high as we possibly can. That sounded... Okay, so we see this in politics. We see this in local governments. And we see it sometimes in the church too, don't we? Where we have some who love their position or office held. Scripture even, the apostles even talked about that. And, and how, even, how even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how they loved those positions that they held. It's still common today. Even on the world stage, we see kingdoms and nations vying to become superpowers, wanting to possess the best weapons or, or, ha- or host or have the greatest economy. Everyone wants to be at the top. Even Satan wanted to be at the top. However, in the end, there is only one only one, and El Elyon designates that God alone is at the top. Deuteronomy ten seventeen: For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. Psalms 97, 9, For thou, O Lord, art high above the earth. Thou art exalted above all gods. In Psalm 57, 2, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. And that's the kind of God that Abram wanted to know. In fact, when, when the king of Sodom now wanted to give him, give him a portion of, of what he rescued, Abram replies in verse 22, he says, I have solemnly promised the Lord God most high. So he, now he's uttering that name for the first time. Creator of heaven and earth. That I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from you. Boy, that almost sounds a little bit like what I heard somebody say. Maybe like John the Baptist. What do you mean me baptize you? I'm not even worthy to, to tie your, the thongs on your sandals. No. But here's Abram saying, I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from an earthly king. Otherwise, you might start saying... How you are the one that made me rich. Abram knew that it was God who made him what he was. That his victory came from God. His wealth came from God. His wisdom came from God. And he understood the verse, James 1.17, before it was even written. 
All that is good and perfect comes to us from God above who created the heavenly heights. And so, yeah, you know, he he understood that. He wanted to know God's sovereignty, not an earthly king's provision. He wanted to know God supremely, not how supreme an earthly king would be. He knew that he was not a self-made man. He was God's design. And his life, the events of his life, were part of God's design. And to give opportunity for this man, this created man, to glorify the creator through the events in his life. You know that battle that he just won? Freeing the slaves, restoring them? It wasn't an accolade he wanted for himself. It was God's victory and he wanted the deserve to receive the glory. And here's another thing. He would not have known God in this way had not God allowed the infirmity, the injustice in his life. It begins to open our eyes just a little bit as to how God most high, the God who is supreme, the God who is over all things, how he reveals himself to us. You know, if things were always peachy keen and hunky-dory and beautiful, we would never know of his grace and his mercy. We would, never, we would not be relying on one who is able when we just can't. 1 Peter 5 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Isaiah 41.3, For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. These things sound like Christian cliches to us. Easier to say than believe. Like they're, but they're more than just niceties. They are the truths that are the building blocks of faith. God is able. El Elyon is above all. God most high is supreme. Above him there is no other. And third, he is sovereign over creation. Nothing takes God by surprise. As creator, this God most high is sovereign. He is Lord over the affairs of this planet. Over 100 years ago, a tornado struck uh, uh, a, the country in, in, in Missouri. No, in Minnesota, sorry, Minnesota. There were many killed, hundreds injured, and one small town almost demolished. And it was in the midst of that that an elderly British surgeon and his two doctor sons worked around the clock assisting everyone affected by this tornado. The state offered the doctor and his sons financial backing to build a hospital in the area as long as they took charge of it and ran it. 
the men agreed. And over 100 years ago, well, 120 years ago, 130 years ago, in 1889, the Mayo Clinic was established. World-known facility that came up and came out of an adversity, a disaster. Now, I'm sure that if you ask the residents of Minnesota about the tornado at the time, they would have said, this is the most terrible thing we've ever been through. But now go forward 125, 130 years and look at what came out of it. That's what it means to recognize the sovereignty of God. We can never see the forest because we're surrounded by the trees. Like I said last week, this is a God who created that forest. And he knows and he takes a tragedy. He injects his sovereignty and he takes something that looks like a defeat Something that's devastating. And God most high turns it into something good. When we view everything from the perspective of how this event, this trouble, this circumstance affects me today. Well, God looks at it as, let me show you what I can do with that. That's what El Elyon can do. And I'm sure that Lot and his friends and neighbors, they probably thought, well, this is it for us. Until God provided and God brought victory. Ephesians 3.20 tells us that he can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's what El Elyon can do. This means that that circumstance that you're dealing with, that trouble that's hovering over you, that seemingly insurmountable situation, God is sovereign over it. Just as no one is greater than God, nothing is too great that God cannot handle. And what we're reminded of in Genesis 14 is a king and a priest who stands up and says, Praise be to El Elyon, creator of all things, who has delivered your enemies from your hand. You know, unless we go through the valley of the shadow of death, how are we ever truly able to experience and know the sovereignty of God? And in our flesh, we want to cry out, but wait a second, isn't isn't God now supposed to be on my side and he's supposed to bring healing and he's supposed to bring all these good things into my life to where everything from this point further is now going to be great? Isn't that the promise of scripture? And I said, that is the illusion that some promote. But what God ultimately wants to reveal to us That his hand is on you. Whom shall you fear? Answer is we can't know God. Unless we experience that valley. 
we've realized that we don't have the answers. We don't have the fortitude. We don't have the strength. We don't have the ability. But I'm sheltered by one who does. We deal with struggles. Don't let those struggles pull you away from El Elyon. Let them draw you closer to him. Sickness, work, relationship, marital problems, a situation you find your child in. When you worship Elohim, you worship a God who is supreme, a God who is sovereign, a God who who is able, a God who is Lord of all, who is Lord over all. He's a God who can when you can't anymore. For some, this is just a cliche. This is a nice sentiment, but not something that, 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 you, that you've allowed yourself to believe in or to give yourselves wholly over to yet. But for the person of faith, of faith in a God that they worship, who isn't just any God, but is a, is, a, is a God who created purposely, a God who directs and guides purposely, a God who is supreme, who is over. This is a tried and true statement that proves itself over and over and over again and gives us strength To bear the next circumstance. In this world you will have trouble. But trust in me. I have overcome the world. And in another part of scripture. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Is the same spirit that lives within us. And if he overcame the promises. We shall overcome too. And what we learn. Is that he is our reward. That's what we find in Genesis 15. The next verse. After Abram turns down the, the riches. From the king of Sodom. After this. This is chapter 15 verse 1. After this. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid Abram. I am your shield. Your very great reward Abram put his trust in a God that he knew even before Melchizedek showed up and gave him the name who is able because the verses before says that I had already promised to God that I wasn't going to take anything from this That the victory belonged to him and the rewards would come from him. And God showed up and he said, you're right, Abram. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. Abram would then be given the promise of a son. The start to a great nation. And then we have verse 6 of chapter 15. That well-known verse. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as his righteousness. And this is exactly who God wants to be in our lives. Our very great reward. The creator, 
the most high God who made and fashioned this planet so we may thrive on it. Who has no one over him, no one equal to him, no one more capable than, than him. This God, known as El Elyon, wants to give us more than just simply life on some planet. Just trying to make it through the day. You hear 75, 85, 90 good years, and then that's it. He wants to give us more than that. He wants to be your great reward. And that reward is realized in the New Testament. If you go to Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews brings up Melchizedek. Melchizedek is mentioned in Genesis 14. There is a psalm, Psalm 110, I think it is, where he's mentioned in, in sort of, of giving a, uh, a foreshadowing of Christ becoming a, a, a priest higher than Melchizedek. And then here in Hebrews 7, the writer of Hebrews brings it up again, brings up Melchizedek again. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, because Jesus lives forever... He has a permanent priesthood, because he had just mentioned how Melchizedek was a priest and then he had died. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by man. The point here is, is that our reward is fully realized now through a perfect high priest who does not have to offer a sacrifice for himself, but he has now made a one and only one necessary sacrifice to redeem those who will trust in that sacrifice. And let me tell you this, that is a very great reward that God acknowledges in, in Genesis 15 that he promises for Abram, to which is our forefather. And how we exist and how we're here. Because it was by his faith that it is credited to him by, as righteousness. And therefore it is now by faith that it can be credited as your righteousness. And that is your very great reward. Not 75, 85, 95 years. God bless us if we're able to live that long. But the great reward of eternity that comes by faith through one who died and rose again. Man, I thought I was going to hear more than that. That is who we worship. A creator who created a place in which we might thrive and then who came and died so that we might really learn what it means to thrive, to live, and not just in the flesh, but for all eternity. That is our very great reward. And when we recognize him as El Elyon... Creator, 
most high, supreme, sovereign, and he knows how to give good gifts? That's a reward Abram wasn't going to turn down. And he knew that no earthly king, no earthly career, no earthly wealth or riches was going to give him what God could. Have you learned that? Do you know God by that name? Hebrews 7, 24, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood and he is able to save completely, save forever those who come to God through him. Do you know El Elyon? Pray with me. Father, we come to you in this moment amazed amazed at exactly who you are that we might we might come to this point in our service where we recognize lord exactly who you want to be in our life our reward or as you said, our very great reward. And as you promised Abram, not only his reward, but also his shield. And Lord, sometimes our life are so full, so filled with trying to dodge the arrows that we forget what exactly you've given You want to be the shield that protects us. You want to be the shield that takes the brunt of what life throws at us. So that we might be able to stop and look and see how exactly you've blessed us. Lord, I ask that you just speak. That as we sit here and as we, as we chew on this this morning, as those, those events that are going on in our lives, right here and now, those things that we still, that we still are holding on to that have just created a bitterness in our life, what are those things that we know that we're going to have to face in the coming weeks? You're supreme. You're sovereign. And that you want to handle it because you know we just can't. Lord, take them. Take it. And let us learn you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We come to this time in our service, and I know that we have an intercessory portion earlier, but
Perhaps now you're really ready to pray. Of course, our altar should always be open for prayer, and it's so right now. But let me also encourage you that if you have yet to know the name that is forever and the name that is above every other name and the name of the one who died for you to set you free, let me encourage you to come forward and to claim Christ as Savior and Lord today and commit your life to him. Or perhaps you've been our guests for some time and you're ready to join in the membership of this church and to let God use your experiences, your gifts, your talents to make this church exactly what he's calling it to be. This is time for you to come forward and, and, and request that membership. Let me encourage you to do so today and join this family. And let's encourage one another and remind each other of God most high together. So as we stand and sing this song, you come forward and let me greet you. Amazing love that welcomes me, the kindness of mercy that bought with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. Behold the cross, age to age, and hour by hour. The dead are the sinner saved, the work of your power. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. God, you're so good. 